Well, a little over 12 years ago, uh, we had our first uh, kid. Her name is uh, Kennedy, and uh, she's now entering into her teen years. Uh, but it was about 12 years ago uh, that I was in a meeting, and I got a phone call from my wife. And she was kind of hysterical, and she said, Kennedy just fell down our steps. And so somehow Kennedy had just begun to be mobile, and she made her way to the door down the basement steps and she fell down the steps uh, into the basement. And so my wife just hears the pounding of my poor daughter going down these wooden steps into our basement. She calls me hysterical. She says, I don't know if she's okay. And so I, I rush home really quick and I get there. And at that point, Kennedy is okay and she's functioning and it doesn't seem like anything's wrong. But the thing in the back of our mind was what happened, right? What did it look like for Kennedy to go down the steps did she hit her head? Did she flip? Did she slide? Right? We, we needed the truth of that moment. And so we didn't really know what to do. We obviously didn't want to send her down the steps again, but we, we, needed a, a, we needed a substitute. And so I had remembered that my dad had given me a bin of stuff from when I was a kid. And I remembered this uh, was in the, the bin, this picture of uh, this, uh, this doll. Uh, I don't know if anybody knows what this is. Uh, this will age me a little bit, but this was called uh, a My Buddy doll. Any, I had a My Buddy doll, all right? And I'm not ashamed to say I had a My Buddy doll that, that went around uh, with me. And so I thought, my buddy is about the size of Kennedy, and uh, he needed a little weight. And so we put uh, a book in his clothes. We stood My Buddy at the top of the steps, and we pushed My Buddy down the stairs. And can I just tell you, that was the worst thing we could have possibly done, right? Uh, he flipped and turned and banged his head the whole way down the steps. And we, for, for days, we were like, oh my gosh, did this happen to our, our poor little girl? But in that moment, right, there was something in us that we just needed the truth. And the way we went after it wasn't necessarily in the best way. It did more harm than, than good. We're looking at this letter that a guy named Paul wrote to some Christians. And in this, he is trying to get the listeners to believe the truth, right? But somewhere in the midst of all of this, it's been distorted, right? Some other people got a hold of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, and it got distorted. It got perverted, as Paul says. And they, these people started believing a different thing. And this thing was not the gospel at all. And so Paul, we've seen this for the last several weeks, we've seen Paul continually come back to, here is the truth. Here is the truth of the gospel. And so I can't recap all of this. If, if you've missed some weeks, if you want to go back and watch this on our YouTube channel, you can do that. Uh, but just really, really quickly, the main point of, of what we have talked about so far is Paul was not a follower of Jesus. He hated Christians. He was against Christians. He wanted to kill Christians. He was arresting and helping uh, persecute Christians. But he has this but God moment. And, and I hope you remember that week if you were here that each one of us hopefully have had this but God moment where something has happened. That you have this former life as we're going to look at in the reading today, but something happens and you have my life would be different but God. I was in this position but God. And so that happens for Paul. And so Paul becomes a follower of Jesus. He helps other people follow Jesus. He plants these churches and then he writes these letters to encourage them, to help challenge them and, and other things. And so this is what we're reading right now is this letter written to a group of Christians in Galatia, which is modern day Turkey. And what he says to them is, look, you're broken. I'm broken. We're all broken people. We've been separated from God. But there's good news. There's good news because of Jesus and what Jesus has done for us. 
And it's Jesus alone that puts us back in right standing with God. It's only Jesus that can do that. It's this grace. It's this unmerited favor of God on our lives that is freely given to us if we just accept it. And he says, look, you can't add anything to it. The moment you add something to Jesus, you lose it all. Right? That it's actually Jesus plus nothing equals everything that you need. Right? And so he, he's telling these people this, and, and they've had this group of people, these Jewish people, who are coming behind. They're coming behind Paul, and they're like, we know what Paul's been telling you. Yeah, we believe in Jesus, but Jesus isn't quite enough. You've got to add some things to Jesus. And Paul says, you've missed it if you believe that. You can't add anything to Jesus. And last week, we, we looked at this idea that I think is fundamental to us if we're going to believe the gospel if it's going to change our lives, and that is that we are adopted into the family of God, that God becomes our father, that we are sons and daughters of a good father in this family of of God. And that is where we find our identity. We begin to imitate our father, and our father covers our shame and our regret and everything that's ever happened because he's a good father. We've talked about if you can live out of that, of being adopted into the family of God that begins to change our lives. So today is going to be really, really interesting. Uh, We're going to look at this comparison that Paul makes between two things that normally I think we would say these have no correlation, but they are going to be closely connected. If If you don't own a Bible, there should be a red Bible around you somewhere. We'd love for you to take that. You can write in it. That's our gift to you. Uh, If you have a phone and you want to pull it up on your phone, you can do that as well. But we're going to be looking in Galatians 4, and we're going to start in verse 8. I'm going to read it, and then I'll go back and break it down and give us some application. So Galatians 4, uh, verse 8. The page number in there is for that red Bible that should be around you uh, somewhere. It says this, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not God's. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable principles? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? Are you observing, you are observing special days and months and seasons and years? I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. I plead with you, brothers, become like me, for I became like you. You have done me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. Even through my illness was a trial to you. You did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. What has happened to all your joy? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may be zealous for them. It is fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always and not just when I am with you. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. We're going to spend our most time in that first chunk, uh, verse 8 through 11, but in the, the end, I'll, I'll get to 12 through 20. But, but this first part, I think, is um, one of the things that can be really dangerous if we don't understand. I think it can be dangerous to your life, to your faith, to your relationship with God if you don't understand what Paul is talking about here. Let me read it again, verse 8 and 9. 
Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. Again, he's using this before and after. We talked about this last week, that the trajectory of your life is changed when you begin to know the love of God. It's not that your trajectory changes and that you have no problems or that you won't ever get sick or that money might not be an issue. It's just that the hope that you have and the peace that you have and the joy that you experience, the trajectory of your life changes. That you used to have one life. That your life used to look one way. That you were in despair. And now, because of what you believe about God, the trajectory of your life is forever changed. And Paul says, formerly, previously, before you understood the grace and the gospel. I believe, I believe we all can have that former moment. That maybe you're in a place right now where you're struggling and you don't know what you believe about God and you think there's absolutely no God, no way God could do anything in my life. That I'm too far gone. That you too can have a former moment. The trajectory of your life could be forever changed because of God's grace, because of Jesus And so he's telling the Galatians, remember, you had this former life, this previous life, and in that previous life, you were slave, a slave to these gods who are not gods at all. And he uses this word, these miserable principles, or if you read it in other translations, these elemental, uh, elementary principles. Paul is talking about pagan idol worship, right? He's talking about how in those days, the Greeks, the Galatians, Uh, They believed that there were all of these gods. So if you're a farmer and you've had a drought and a dry spell, you begin to wonder, how do I appease the God who is going to bring the rain? Right? What rituals, what traditions, what sacrifices do I need to do to bring the rain? Or if you're going overseas and you're going to be in the boat and you're afraid and the, the waves are crashing around you and you begin to say, all right, Poseidon, right? What do I need to do to, to calm you down? How do I appease you? How do I do something? How do I worship you so that we could have a safe trip? You want to get married? Aphrodite. If you want to have kids, it's the fertility gods. You're always trying to figure out who is in control of this area. And I must figure out how do I worship them in a way where I get them to do what I want them to do. And so what Paul is saying is that used to be what you did. That those were your gods and you were enslaved to them. You belonged to them See, idols are anything that we worship that takes the place of God. And so that's what's happening to, uh, to the Galatians previously, formerly. They had these idols, these things that they thought would give them everything that they needed. And in the Greek language, the original, it literally meant the worship of an illusion. I mean, just think about that. That the idols, these gods that Paul says were no gods at all, they were just worshiping an illusion, this belief that there was something out there that would do something for them if they just said the right thing or offered the right sacrifice, that maybe the rain would come. Maybe I would find that person to maybe, to marry. Maybe we would have children, but I have to do the right thing. I have to have the right ritual to get it done. And so maybe things have changed for us. Maybe, maybe we don't necessarily believe in those gods. And some people still do. But here's what I know about you, because I know it's true about myself, is our hearts are idol factories. We will constantly be producing something or looking for something to give us satisfaction or peace or clarity to our lives or fulfillment, purpose. We're always looking for something to do that. So you could ask yourself these questions. If only I could have blank 
everything would be okay. Man, if I could just get that, then I'd be satisfied and I'd have peace. I'm not asking for much. I just, I just need that one thing. Well, that thing becomes your idol. That, that becomes the worship of an illusion, of something that will bring satisfaction to your life. Or if you felt the desperation that you knew would go away if only you were acknowledged or loved by fill in the blank. If only he would accept me. If only she would love me then everything would be okay. It becomes this worship of an illusion. We believe people are what will satisfy us, and they become an idol. They become our God. And when you think about losing any of those things, when you think about losing anything that has given you hope and purpose and fulfillment and satisfaction, does it bring this anxiety and fear to your life, this overwhelming sense of fear? If I lost that, I would lose it all. I would no longer have what I need. And so for many of us, it's money or it's success, but can I just talk about something that, that maybe is not talked a lot about? And that is, I think family becomes something that we worship. I think family has become a dangerous idol. And this is what I mean by that. If you're single with us today, if you're here and you're single, you have maybe felt this pressure. And if you've ever felt it by the church, I apologize. And maybe you have felt it by your mom or you felt it by a grandparent. When are you going to find someone? When are you going to find someone who will complete you? And, right, because there's this idea that without someone, there's no way you could be happy. Without someone, there's no way you could be satisfied. And that becomes this idol that we worship. And not only is it finding someone to marry and a spouse, but then it becomes about kids. When are you going to have kids? Are you going to have kids? Because there's this thought, if I don't have kids, then obviously I could not be happy. I could not be satisfied. And so we put all of our, our hope and our success and we put our, our, what we're longing for in our hearts in someone, whether it's a spouse or children. And it has become something that we worship. That our real satisfaction could only come through those things. And then the dangerous thing is once we have our kids, man, once we have our kids, then their success, that becomes an idol we need our kids to succeed, and if they succeed, then we feel like we succeed. We have found our identity in the success of our children. And if our children struggle, then we take that upon ourselves, like, what have I done wrong? And so there's nothing wrong with wanting our kids to be successful. There's, there's nothing wrong with finding joy when they do well in something. But who's it for? Is it for them, or is it for you? Is it for me? And so Nothing's really changed, right? He's telling the Galatians, look, formerly you worship these gods, these illusions of a god that you thought would bring all this for you. Uh, but then something happened, something changed. You understood the grace of God. And so for many of us, we've understood that, right? We've understood that I used to do that. I used to think that way. And maybe you do still now. But here's where it begins to change. Here's where Paul says something different. He's reminding them you were enslaved to something, but now something has changed. But there's this threat that you could be enslaved to it again. Is he afraid? Is Paul afraid that in this moment, the Galatians are going to go back and worship Poseidon or Zeus or Aphrodite? I don't think he is. And here's where there's two things that are completely different but are really connected. I think Paul is referring not to other gods, but I think he's afraid that they're going to be enslaved to this idea that Jesus isn't enough. Listen to verse 10. It says this, 
You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I've wasted my efforts on you. He, he tells them before you were literally involved in the, the elementary principles would have even meant the demonic. You, you were involved in those things in your former life, but now you're becoming enslaved to this religious observance. Right? You were enslaved to gods, and now you're just becoming enslaved in doing good. You're just being enslaved into following the Jewish traditions. You're following seasons and dates and years, and what's happened is you have believed what other people have told you about God, that Jesus isn't enough, that you need to add to it, and you're in bondage to those things. You are enslaved to those things. See, Paul isn't against seasons. He's not against festivals. He's not against holidays. Uh, I'm not canceling Christmas. That's good. Uh, but, but what he's saying is, what's the purpose of those things? He's asking the Galatians, well, what's the purpose of you observing those seasons and months? Is it to appease a god? You used to try to appease those other gods, and now are you trying to appease God? That Jesus isn't enough? See, gathering today isn't a bad thing. It is a great thing that you're here today. In Hebrews, in another part of the Bible, it talks about don't give up meeting. Don't give up gathering with one another. This is good that you're here today. But just let me tell you, you being here today, that doesn't do anything to appease God. You being here, God is not in heaven applauding that we've walked into this place today. He's not satisfied simply because we've shown up. That your relationship with him is not at a better place simply because you're here. Uh, I was a member, I've been a member of several health clubs. Uh, I have uh, gone to health clubs very, very, a very minimal amount, right? Uh, but I've often carried that keychain that gets me into the, the health club. It wouldn't make sense if you are a member of a health club just to go in and sit on a bench. I promise it won't make you healthy. It's not going to make you healthy sitting there watching other people work out. It's not going to make you healthy sitting there and watching other people eat better and, and do something for the, their health. You have to do it as well. You have to take a step and believe that if I work out, then something happens. Just being in the building doesn't make you healthy. And he's afraid, Paul is afraid that these Galatians have believed that if they just follow a bunch of tradition and traditions and rituals, then God will be pleased with them. And he's saying, when you do that, you've just enslaved yourself to something like you did before. That you have not really understood what grace looks like. And here's how I know this is still happens. Uh, if you've been around this place, at Christmas time, we now have two services for Christmas Eve. And both of them are fairly full. Uh, if you come at Easter, uh, the parking lot is full. And this place, it's, it's tough to find a seat. Because those are the two times where everyone's like, I gotta go. I can't miss Easter. I've got to be in the building. Right? And we, we, we can joke and we can laugh, but there is this idea that maybe that's enough. That if I could just get in there, then God is going to be so pleased with me. He's going to be happy with me if I just do the right things. So my, my church attendance, which is good. Please, you probably have never heard a pastor, in a way, say it's not that big of a deal for you to be here. It is. But God is not applauding you just because you've shown up. Like we have to believe that Jesus is enough, that we're not Jesus plus being in a church building. 
right? Or studying our Bible, which hopefully you're doing. That's why if you don't own a Bible, we want to give you a Bible. It's good to read it. It's good to understand it. That is a good thing. But just doing it in itself, just checking the box, does not just simply please God. He's not keeping track of our religious observances. Or if you volunteer, that's awesome and needed. But that does nothing to justify us before God. It does not put us in right standing with God. That is a result of what we believe about God. And for those of you who have been around our tradition for a long time, if you have been in Nazarene for a long time, and maybe you're new, we're a part of a, a denomination, a, a, a tribe, the, the Nazarene uh, denomination. Uh, years and years ago, there was this idea that if you just simply didn't do things, right, if you just didn't do things, then God would be honored and pleased with us. Like it wasn't because of our relationship with God that we didn't do those things, but it was out of this fear, right? So when I started following Jesus uh, as a teenager, and, and I didn't have a lot of the baggage of that, but when I started getting a little older and I was around other people, they talked about how they were afraid of stepping into a movie theater, like, you could watch movies at home. You just couldn't step into a movie theater or dancing. Or there were these other things, and that's definitely changed, thankfully. But there was this idea that, that God would simply be pleased with me just with some external decisions. And Paul is saying, if you believe that, if you could believe that you could just earn yourself to a right relationship with God, then you've enslaved yourself to gods that are really no gods at all that you don't understand the grace of God. <clears throat> and so we believe what is enough is because of Jesus, his, his death and his resurrection. That puts us in right standing with God when we believe that. But we can be enslaved by good things, that our morality can enslave us. Uh, one of my favorite stories, and it's a fairly well-known story, maybe you haven't been around church, but you've maybe heard of the story of the prodigal son. There's a story of two boys who have a, a father, and one of the boys, the younger brother, goes to the father and says, look, uh, I, I wish you were dead, uh, but you're not, but I want your stuff, right? I, I'm leaving your household. I really don't want to wait until you're, you're dead to get what is coming to me, and so could you just give it to me now? And the father says yes, and the father gives the younger son what's coming to him, and the younger son takes it, and he leaves, and the story that Jesus is telling says he goes and he wastes it on this uh, sinful living. He just basically throws it away. And there comes this point in the prodigal son, this young boy's life, where he's at, at the, the bottom of the, his life. He's taking care of pigs and he's, he's wanting even just to eat what the pigs are eating. And then he comes to this moment where he's like, what am I doing? I could go back to my father's house and I could just work for him. And he comes up with a speech. Have you ever done anything wrong? And you're like, man, I got to go admit that I've done this. I, I got to come up with the speech to tell the person that I've hurt. This guy does this. this. This son does this. And he makes his way back. And the father is standing on the porch looking for his son. And the boy begins to make his, his way back. And the father doesn't wait. The father leaves the porch and he goes running to his son and he grabs him and the son begins to tell the story and the father's like, no, no, it doesn't matter. Bring the ring, bring the robe. We're going to throw a party because you're home, right? In the moment, there is absolutely nothing this younger brother could do. The father said, you're good. You've come home. 
You have turned back to me, and that is enough. You are welcomed back into the family. And they throw this party, and the, the dad comes, and he's, he's looking for his older son. And his, the older son can't be found, and he finds out he's in the back. And what he's doing is he's sulking. He's mad because the father is throwing this party for his son, for his younger brother, who has wasted everything. And so the father, again, goes out to the son. So there's this interesting, this idea that both of them needed the father. Both of them needed the father to make the move first, and he does. And both of them wanted the father's stuff without really wanting the father. See, what, what the, the older son is upset about is because his dad never threw a party for him. And what he says is, look, I've always been here. I've never walked away from you. I always do right. His morality got in the way of knowing the grace and love of his father. He just wanted his father's stuff. There was an invitation to both of them. There was an invitation for both of them to be in the family, to be loved by the father. And the younger son realized there was nothing he could do to earn it. And the older son believed that his morality was enough and it had enslaved him and he missed it. And so Paul is saying, look, you could be missing it. He literally says, I am afraid that I have wasted my efforts on you, that everything I have told you, you haven't believed any of it. And it's what we understand and we discussed last week, that it's this good father that loves us and that we are called his children and that we begin to live in that security. See, when we're not secure that God loves us, we think we need to add to it, right? We think we've done too much and we, so we hear about the grace of God and we're like, that is awesome, but I've done a lot of bad things. I probably should also show up every time the building is open, not because I want to grow in my relationship with God, but just so God would be pleased with me. Like, I know grace is enough, and I hear that grace covers everything I've ever done, but I probably need to do some more stuff because it just couldn't be enough. And see, here's the beautiful thing about God's grace is he knows you're broken. He, he knows what you've done. It actually says, Paul says in another book, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ doesn't die thinking, well, one day when you're good, then it will apply to you. No, he knew what you needed. Right? It was in, it's in that midst of brokenness and hurt and pain and your imperfection that God knows you and still loves you. He still cares for you. And so we don't have to add anything to it. And the moment we do, we're enslaved to those things. So if we're secure in his love for us, if we don't have to look to another thing to get to him, uh, that he's pleased with us and he loves us, then we don't have to add to it. We come into this space because we want to be together. We come in this space because we turn our eyes off of ourselves and we turn them to God. That we're challenged and we're inspired and we're encouraged to leave this place, to go out into our community and to love one another. That's the purpose of gathering in this place, that we invite people into this space because we want them to know the love and grace of God. Not simply because by being in this building that everything will go right for them. And it won't for you that we have to begin to believe that Jesus is enough. Very, very quickly, uh, verse 12, he begins to change his, his tone. He begins to plead with them. He calls them brothers, and he says, uh, become like me, for I became like you. 
often Paul will say, follow me as I follow Christ. What Paul is saying is, look, I have learned what it means to be free. Uh, Paul has said, I learned what it means to have a lot, and I've learned what it means to have little, and I've found content in both of those. That Paul has been arrested, that he's been beaten, and in the midst of all of that, Paul is okay. Uh, Paul, in Philippians 4.13, we've taken that scripture out of context. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Uh, We like to apply that to lots of things, put it on shirts and coffee mugs and, and other things. But what Paul is saying is, I've learned what it means to be free. I've learned what it means not to be enslaved to anyone or to anything. And he says, look, just be like me as I am like Jesus. Be like me as I have learned what it means to be free, that he is okay no matter what. Kill me, he says, to die is gain, that he is okay because he knows Jesus and he knows grace and he believes that that is enough. And what he's saying, and he's able to say this because earlier we looked at this and he says, look, I was the best at keeping rules. Right? I came from the, the right lineage. I was born to the right people. If anyone should be able to get in just simply by that, it was Paul. And Paul says, look, I was able to get rid of all of that, and I believe that would do nothing for me, but it was only by God's grace. And then in verse 13, he says, as you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. We could quickly look past this, right? But it was in the midst of Paul's sufferings. It was in the midst of Paul's problems that there were now possibilities, Right, that God used this moment in Paul's life of his pain and his sickness to actually change the course of other people's lives. That it was in the midst of whatever it was that was going into in Paul's life that the Galatians' lives were changed. And so he understands that it was in his illness that he had the opportunity to preach the gospel to these people. And so I don't know what your problems are. I don't know what the issues are in your life or the pain, but maybe it's opening up some possibilities for you. Maybe it's putting you into some places and positions that you wouldn't normally find yourself. And you begin to ask God, all right, God, what do you want to do in this moment? What do you want to do in my sickness and my struggle and my pain? Maybe you want to do something with it. And Paul is reminding them, look, God has been gracious to you. God has been good to you. Even in the midst of Paul's pain, there has been good that has happened. Let's quickly, verse 17 He's talking about the people who were coming behind him, and he says, those people are zealous to win you over. The people who are coming behind and saying, look, Jesus isn't quite enough. You need to add to Jesus. He says, those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may be zealous for them. (laughs) These people don't care. These people only care for themselves. Paul has nothing to gain by doing this. Paul's not earning anything by telling them about grace, but those other people are wanting to get something out of it. Those heretical teachers, they're going to great strengths to flatter people. Their motives are rotten. The message version says they want to shut you out of the free world of God's grace so that you will always depend on them for approval and direction, making them feel important. And Paul says, look, I'm not looking for fans. Paul says, I'm looking for people who will follow Jesus. And so as I stand before you and I teach you, just know that I'm not looking for fans. 
I don't really care about becoming Instagram famous and I follow all these really famous pastors who are doing amazing things. All I want is for us to follow Jesus. All I want for your life is for you to understand the grace of God. Please listen, no matter where you've been, no matter how hopeless you have been, no matter what your struggles have looked like, Jesus is enough. You don't have to add anything to it. You don't have to earn your way into a relationship with God. Those things will do nothing for you. You don't need to become dependent on me, but just dependent on Jesus. I don't want you to become dependent on your own goodness, but on God's greatness. That's what this is about. Paul is saying, look, you formerly, you knew this. You were in the midst of worshiping gods that were not gods at all. That was your former life, and then all of a sudden you believed in grace, but then something happened, and now you're just enslaved to something new. You're enslaved to this idea that you'll begin to earn God's love. And he pleads with them, and then he ends that this picture of a woman in childbirth, this pain that Paul is feeling for his people, that he wants them to experience Christ in their life. That's what Paul cares about. That's what I care about. I would never want you to leave this place thinking that you could earn God's love. That no matter where you're at right now, it is available to you. It is free to you. All you must do is just believe and accept it for your own life. And then the trajectory of your life is forever changed. But for some of you have believed that, but then grace has not been enough to sustain you. You struggle, things don't go right, and you begin to wonder, is God not pleased with me? And you're living in fear, and there is no fear in perfect love. No fear. There's this love that God has for you. You don't have to be afraid of that. Your security comes in what God has done for you, not what you're doing for God. Greg's going to come up and, and close this, this morning with a song. And I just hope maybe there's never been a moment in your life where you've said, look, I want to believe in that grace for the first time. And maybe today's it. Now that's between you and God. There's this moment that you could have even as you're sitting where you're sitting. I'd love to know if you ever made that decision so I could pray with you. I could walk alongside of you. But there's nothing special you have to do. You just begin to speak to God in your own language. And then for some of you that maybe. Maybe you've begun to believe that your goodness is what will put you in right standing with God. Would you just go back? Would you just go back to God's grace and believing that that is enough? Would you stand with me as I pray, as we sing? Father, I'm just thankful that as a teenager, I learned about hope for the first time. And I'm thankful that you've been patient with me, that over the years I have believed that my goodness, that my good deeds, that my volunteering would make you more happy with me. That I've added to grace and I'm thankful in the midst of those times you've pointed me back to Jesus. Lord, that's what we want to do this morning. We want to fix our eyes on Jesus. Would you help us? I pray for my friends here today that maybe this is new to them. Maybe this is the first time in a long time they've walked into a church building. But I pray that today they would believe in this free gift, that your grace is enough, that Jesus is enough. We don't have to add anything to that. Will we find our security in you as a good father who loves us because we're your children. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.